Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We haven't recorded in three games, and in that time, the apocalypse has essentially begun. <laughs> it has been three completely different games, three completely different results, and now we have absolutely no idea how to feel about the team. So we were just saying before we recorded that there's not even one single thing that we can narrow in and talk about and have be a focus. So we're just going to start talking and see where it takes us. And the first place we need to start is St. John's. UConn gets upset by the Red Storm 69-64 at the XL Center on Tuesday night. It was probably UConn's worst performance of the season. I don't know what else would even come close to it. I mean, Marquette, sure, but the lowest field goal percentage of the year for UConn, 35%. They just looked horrible. The first quarter, they gave up 21 points, which is the most they've given up in any first quarter this year. They couldn't get a stop in the fourth quarter when they needed one, and the energy and effort level were just not there for the entire night, save for one stretch in the third quarter when they caught fire. But it was just a very... It was so weird to watch it unfold because it didn't feel like UConn. Yet the game just kept going and going. And after St. John's made its push into the third quarter and went up leading in the fourth quarter, there was never a point where I really felt like, okay, UConn's, this is where UConn makes its run. Every single time it got a play on either end of the floor, St. John's came back with another and kind of kept them down. Then when UConn finally got close, it couldn't hit a shot, which was kind of the story of the entire night. So it was a very weird performance. And I think the first time we're pretty legitimately concerned about where this team is heading. Yeah, I didn't really have any real concerns after the Marquette game. I didn't think much of it, but I think last night's game against St. John definitely raises some red flags, especially because, like you said, it's like the effort in the the energy that was on the court. They're going to have bad shooting nights. They've had many of them lately. And it's certainly the offense is certainly a problem, but to get out rebounded, to not be able to come up with stops, things like that, I think is a lot more concerning than having some off shooting nights. We know that's what this team is going to be. They had some really good offensive games a little while ago. Everything was clicking, but with who they have available, that's just, not necessarily going to happen every single night. And they were still right there with the really bad shooting night. So it feels like when you're on the doorstep like that, and it's it's that close, that effort level is going to put you over the top when you're not playing well. And as Gino said post-game, St. John's played that game like its life depended on it, which it did. They're now in the NCAA tournament picture after that win. UConn, as Gino also said, played like it was going to show up. They were going to be knighted and handed the Big East regular season title on a platter. They were going to say thank you, and they were going to go home with a 30-point win just because that's what they did the last time they played St. John's, and that's what they're always used to doing against these conference teams. And probably the biggest indictment of the way they played was horrible first half. They go in only down five somehow. They come out in the second half and they finally had that energy and that effort that 
you know, seems normal from a UConn team. And they go on a 13-0 run. They take an eight-point lead, and everything looks like it's going to be fine. And if they maintain that energy level, they probably win by, like, 30. But then (laughs) they take their foot off the gas. St. John's scores 16 in the next 21 points, and UConn never leads again. It was just that quick it changed, and it was gone. So that was a six-minute stretch in the third quarter that UConn had the right effort, had the right energy and St. John's did not score in that time. So I think that kind of sums it up when UConn is on and it's got its energy up and it's playing the way it should. It's still a very good team, but the floor is clearly very, very low when this team isn't on. Yeah, exactly. I think, we're seeing that a lot, not just in this game, but I think we've seen it in spurts kind of all through since really the South Carolina game where you coming out of that game, you feel really good about this team. They just played the top team in the country closely, like despite the fact that they didn't even have Ducharme back. And then it's just been this like roller coaster of close games and times where they look good and times where they are really struggling since then. And I think the consistency of the struggling is starting to get concerning especially when March is in a week the biggest tournament is a week from Saturday it's it's coming up quickly yeah it's so weird how really the performance that made us feel really good about this team losing by four to South Carolina despite being without Caroline despite being without AZ the way they got out rebounded the way that Everything happened in that game. I don't think there's been a single point in the season where we felt better about this team than after the South Carolina game. And even before that, this team looked like the second best team in the country, even without AZ FUD. There were times where they looked really, really good with this exact, actually not even this exact group, this group minus Caroline Ducharme, who's now back. And yet that game that we felt so good about is now really kind of the dividing line in the sand of this is when things looked like normal for UConn. It was a normal UConn season. And this has now been the stretch where they suddenly look like any other team in the country losing two conference games, not even just in the season, but in the span of six games, they haven't lost two conference games in the same season in 10 years, like barely coming out with a win against Creighton, a game that really should have gone to overtime if Creighton didn't miss free throws at the end of that one. Beating a good Villanova team on the road by nine points, that's a good win. And I think at that game, they looked a lot more like the team that we've come to expect from them. From the Tennessee, or like after the Tennessee game on, South Carolina and Villanova are really the only two performances that you can point to and say, yeah, that, that was actually a pretty good effort and a pretty good performance by this team other than that that's a lot of games where it's been very very unconvincing yeah I agree I mean I don't I don't hate the close win over Villanova at home either like I think Villanova is really good and they're playing their best basketball of the season for the most part and they shot well in that game they didn't really shoot well in the game this past weekend but yeah they just they haven't looked great I think the like the redeeming thing for their chances in March is like no one else looks that great either. And outside of South Carolina, I think I could, you could say that UConn could exit in the second round and you could say that they're going to win the national championship. And I think you could say about that, about most of the top 10 teams in the country right now, other than South Carolina. So they're kind of just in with everyone else. 
I don't know. Is Ole Miss a tournament team? Yeah, I think they're, they're in the tournament, but a good point. Like South Carolina is struggling too. I just think South Carolina has lost, and as much as they have struggled at times, like they always find a way to win. And I think there's something we said for that. Okay, that's fair. But like they probably should have lost to yeah. Ole Miss. They got certainly got lucky in that one. So I don't think it's even like South Carolina is right. clear cut right. above. Like they're just. They've they've got a much larger margin of error than everyone else, which I think just yes. allows them to stay above those these losses that everyone else is taking. But you're right, no one looks that good. I think the first Villanova game, my larger concern with that was they were just exhausted. But I do mm-hmm. think it was promising that they fought through that exhaustion to win. I think that was like a good win that, you know, you're impressed by their mental fortitude through that one. I just, I don't know what the fix is because they're not this bad. And Gino said, you are who you are at this point, but is what you are the last two weeks more indicative of what you were in January? It's just such a, such a flip that we thought we were going to know a lot more about them after this stretch of games and it feels like with every single passing game we're just even less certain about who this team is and what they might do i mean the big east tournament even the big east regular season at this point Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like a given do i think they're gonna beat to paul and xavier yeah am i going to feel confident about that not particularly do i think they're gonna win the big east tournament probably would i be stunned if they like lost in the semifinals somehow also no so uh, this team just this team didn't have this wide of a uh a a gap between their best play and their worst play earlier in the year or maybe they just didn't reach down in that into that basement as often as they have now but they have been pretty consistently playing below their level and i'm not totally sure what it's going to take for them to get back up to even just being an average version of themselves. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the biggest question right now is what does it take to get them to play at the level? Cause they've proven that they can play at it, right? Like they proved proven that they can play at that level in that South Carolina game. And maybe even against Nova, there's a couple times, like they've gotten to that level at points. And like I said, I think Nova's very good, but we're not seeing it consistently. And I don't know, maybe like, March and it being like a tournament is all they need to like kind of be focused. I mean, I feel like we've seen that a little bit with like they've shown up for the big games. They showed up in that South Carolina game. They showed up on the road against Villanova and then they just did not show up last night. So I guess maybe that that will help is like knowing what's on the line and having the big moment. But it's it's hard to tell what you're going to get from this team night in and night out. And maybe all that we're saying is just totally thrown out the window on Saturday at DePaul. Maybe this is the kick that they needed to kind of get back on the right track. Because, again, Marquette, there are so many different things with that game where you could point to and say, yeah, I'm I'm not that concerned about it. (laughs) And even looking back, it's not like I feel that loss still doesn't feel like it fits into the same category as even the other bad performances because of how just exhausted they looked in that entire time, whatever you flush that one. 
So maybe this is the one where they needed to just get it through their heads that you are not entitled to the Big East Championship simply because your name is UConn. And Gino kind of mentioned it, and I do wonder how much of it was you beat Villanova and you look, oh, you got to win two of your last three games to win the Big East tournament or the Big East regular season, and you're playing three teams that really haven't proven to be any threat to you. I can very much understand how you would go in with the mentality of this is going to be easy. Let's just come on. Let's let's get the uh, the share of the Big East championship tonight. Let's win it outright out it to Paul. And then we'll go into the Big East tournament. We'll win that. And then it's time to go once the NCAA tournament starts. I can see how there could be a problem trying to overcome that. I just I could also see them coming out at DePaul and you know, maybe the effort's not a problem, but they're still playing like crap and they still can't shoot the ball. And Anissa Morrow obliterates them on the offensive boards and Aaliyah Edwards still can't get going. And Dorka Juhas continues to make mind boggling mistakes. And Nika Mule still can't stay out of foul trouble. And Aubrey Griffin still doesn't reappear. And all these different things that are happening with this team continue on. Even if the effort returns, I mean, it's a given the effort should return. If the effort doesn't return against DePaul, I am hitting the bright red panic button yeah. Yeah. and really <laughs> changing my expectations for Steam. So that's like the bare minimum is the effort returning. Everything else, they know how to grind out games and they know how to win those type of battles, but you'd like to see them win a game in a little more pretty of a fashion for the first time in a while. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It feels like they need like a good, like pretty win for lack of a better word to like kind of reset here and hopefully they can get it. If they don't get it against the hall, they should be able to get it against Xavier. I think if you can't beat Xavier prettily, that's a very big concern. Um, but yeah, I feel like maybe this loss is what they need to kind of reset and, and get the back on the right track, but they're just running out of time to get back on that right track. I think you know, a couple down games, especially like the grind of, you know, how much the starters have been playing at this point in the season wouldn't have necessarily been concerning. But now that you factor in the lack of effort and just how consistently they've been looking poorly since that South Carolina game, it's starting to become a, like, all right, is this the ceiling for this team dropping a little bit? Yeah, I still largely feel like we're sitting in a point where you know, if they can lock in and get through the Big East tournament and win the Big East tournament, then you've got that big gap after <laughs> before the NCAA tournament. It really feels like this team has been in desperate need for that kind of break for a while. And it, maybe they've gotten over that physical fatigue that we saw against Marquette and even Villanova, Providence, Georgetown, that whole stretch. I'm not going to say that St. John's that was the problem because it wasn't Mm -hmm. but maybe it's just the mental toll of all the injuries and you know all the fatigue and now when every single game is a grinder and you're losing games you shouldn't that adds up too so maybe it's just the mental side just keeps building and building and that 10 days stretch where they have off. They don't have games. They don't have to go anywhere because they're going to be hosting the first two rounds. Maybe that provides that reset that they 
seem to really need because it feels like they need some sort of kick to get going. And whether it's a break, whether it's just a really good performance to get their confidence back, but they need something to spark them to just turn them over again. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to necessarily place blame on any one person for this stretch because it isn't, but I do feel like one of the big differences now between or between now and earlier when things were going really well was the way Aaliyah Edwards was playing Mm -hmm. because she was a very clear All-American for a long stretch of the season. Every single night was dominant. And even when her point totals or rebounding totals or her numbers weren't spectacular, she was still putting in a really good shift every single night. And it's been a little while since we've seen that. She's, I mean, she had a double-double last night, which kind of shows you how bad... I think I said this at Villanova, too. She had a double-double against Villanova, too. Shows you how bad she was last year because she didn't have a single (laughs) double-double last year. She's had a double-double in each of the last two games, and she hasn't played particularly well in either. A lot more needs to happen than just Aaliyah Edwards getting back to that All-American level that she was at. But it feels like that fixes a lot of the problems because that gets UConn a lot more easy baskets. That gets UConn a lot more offensive rebounds. That just gives UConn one player that it knows it can rely on every single night, which is the way that she played for so long this season. For whatever reason, it hasn't been there the last few weeks. And it's been very, very inconsistent, I guess is the word. It's been consistently inconsistent and a very similar level every game. So I I really feel like if Aaliyah gets going, the rest of the team starts to get going again. Yeah, I agree. I think when you look at like for the team, we talked about that South Carolina game kind of being a mark in the sand. And I think it's the same for Aaliyah. I mean, she was fantastic in that game, 25 points. She, you know, was a huge part of why UConn was able to be within four at the end of that game. And then since then, there's just been a a really big drop off. I mean, like you just said, like the numbers don't necessarily like look bad when you look at them on the stat sheet. But I think when the way that she's looked on the floor, it just it hasn't been the same. And that's definitely hurt UConn in terms of her scoring. I mean, she hasn't been as efficient, which I think is has hurt them a lot. She was, yeah, she had 14 points last night, but she was 6 of 13 from the floor. That Nova game, 5 of 16 from the floor. Like, Maddie Seacrest is not the world's best defender. Like, she could be more efficient than 5 of 16 from the floor going up against Maddie Seacrest. Um, so it feels like they need to get her on the right track. And hopefully, I feel like maybe it's an advantage that DePaul is the next game and that, like, there's going to be a focus on using the size, I would think, again, and trying to do similarly to what they did when DePaul was in stores and pounding the ball inside and taking advantage of that size advantage and the fact that Anissa Moro is, is not a great defender. Um, and maybe that's a good reset for her if they can kind of get things going for both her and, and Dorka as well in that game. Something's definitely been off with Lee Edwards' play, I think, since that South Carolina game. Yeah, and maybe it's just the same for her, that the fatigue in every aspect is kind of caught up in how much she's carried the team. Because, yeah, you have the two bigs with her and Dorka Juhas, but 
Ayanna Patterson hasn't played much and Amari DeBerry hasn't played much. And I think it's very, very obvious that Gino really doesn't trust either of those two to come in and even give him good minutes, or he just really doesn't want to take either of those two off the floor. And Aaliyah Edwards plays a very demanding style. And he's talked about how much better shape she's in, but over the course of a full year, it's really hard to keep that level up. And maybe she's just getting worn down as the season's gone on because it's not like this is happening in mid January. This is happening at the end of the regular season when they've played a really long stretch of games. They barely had any time off between games for since Christmas, pretty much. So maybe it's just catching up to her and it it would kind of make sense if that's it, because so much of what's happening with Aaliyah Edwards feels self-inflicted layups that were going in earlier in the year, aren't going in and, some of these aren't contested and just the shots that she was hitting. She's not sinking. Now she, she's putting too much on them. She's putting too little on them. And it's not like teams are defending her differently. It's just, it very much feels like her turnaround is going to all come from within her. And once she does that, we're going to see the same Aaliyah Edwards return. Maybe it just comes down to it being after that big East tournament break. And you're just grinding out games until then, but you'd like to see it happen a little sooner because those are five really important games. And we could talk about the bracket in a little bit, but UConn might be off the one line with the loss to St. John's a second loss at any point in these next five games. Even I think to Villanova would probably guarantee that they're not going to finish on the one line. So Mm -hmm it's not like these games aren't important. You got to win them. And even these last two games of the regular season, if you don't win both of these, you're not going to win the big East title outright. That's a pretty big blow for this team. I'd say if you don't win all three games of the big East tournament, you're coming away without a trophy. So the stakes are high for every single game, the rest of the way, which is not how we're used to in conference play. (laughs) Yeah, usually at this point in the regular season, they've already locked up the Big East title, and it's kind of like, all right, let's 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 get to the tournament. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot on the line the next two regular season game, and then that Big East conference title is not a given at all, I think, in the tournament as well. It's going to be a hard stretch of three games for them. So uh, there's definitely a lot coming over the, the next couple of weeks, and then, like you said, a lot of, we'll get to the bracket, but a, a lot of implications on their seating and the bracket and honestly their path to getting to a final floor um, coming out of the next couple of weeks as well. I think, I mean, we've seen how tough Villanova has been this year. We just saw how tough that game was. I'd be surprised if we didn't see Villanova in the final against UConn. That's a tough one. Then you're talking about a semifinal matchup. That is a very good chance. It's against someone like Marquette or St. John's. Two teams that have proven they can beat UConn. So the the first round game, I'm still not that worried about it. Right now, it looks like it's going to be Georgetown or Butler. Maybe Providence can force its way, win a couple games. Butler can lose a couple games and get its way in there. But those three teams don't scare me at all. UConn... It may not be pretty, but UConn's not going to have trouble with them. <laughs> they're, they're not going to pose a realistic threat. But yeah, once you get to that semifinal, 
that game is not a given as we have seen over the last two weeks, the final, that's going to be a really tough game. And you think Villanova feels a certain type of way about losing to UConn two times in a row when it beat UConn last year. And I mean, if you're Villanova, you got to feel like you can beat UConn based on the way that they've played in both games. So Villanova is going to be coming with a vengeance in that game. This is going to be probably the closest conference tournament we see for UConn since 10 years ago, that 2013 end of the regular season Big East tournament, the last year of the typical Big East, where it feels a little similar. UConn didn't exactly roll into that postseason on fire. We know how that turned out. UConn does not have a Brianna Stewart <laughs> waiting. Actually, well. we don't know what's happening with AZ FUD, so maybe they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be determined. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is going to be a co- tough conference tournament, though. And part of that is due to how UConn's playing right now and the fact that they don't look great. Part of it is also due to, like, the Big East is better. It's a better conference than it's been, and it's a much better conference than the the American ever was. Nova's a good team. Like, I don't... Yes, UConn's not playing well, but, like, that game's going to be a battle because Nova's also really good, and Crane's good, and, I mean, Marquette and St. John's are tournament teams, so things are kind of looking up in the conference as well, and I think that part's important, but it's not like UConn's losing to a team that's not even going to, like, sniff the tournament, which there's there's teams in the top four that can say that Stanford um but <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the sky isn't falling because these games are close but at the same time UConn's also not playing well I think it's it's a combination of both of those things this is definitely the first year where it's been clear that the Big East is on a different level and I mean at the same time if UConn was fully healthy these games wouldn't be close yeah. but it it shows you how much higher the floors in this conference. I think Joe Tartamella said that there's no big East team that's lower than like 200 in net Mm -hmm. or something. Whereas without looking, I bet like half the AAC resides below the net, or at least it felt like it did when UConn was there. So these are good scrappy mid-major teams that if UConn's not on as it wasn't last night, how many of these games did they probably have in the American? Like, I don't know, 10, 15? There were plenty of times where they looked like crap, didn't play well, and still won by 30 because the team they were playing was just so overmatched. That is not yeah. the case in the Big East. The big, Like, St. John's has legitimate players. They have Division One players who very clearly had Division One offers elsewhere and know how to play at this level. Yeah, and you're talking about a five-bit conference. The American was a two-bit conference, and that was it every time i think maybe they got three teams in one year so it's it's a much different picture than those days yeah and two of yukon's losses have come to two of those other four teams mm-hmm, exactly then yeah they're not losing they beat, to butler <laughs> yeah and they beat another one by two points and they had to grind out two tough victories against the other one so mm-hmm. it's it makes for much more interesting basketball and yeah. more storylines i mean when was the last time Right now, UConn looks like if all goes as expected, they're going to clinch the regular season title on the last day of the year, the last mm-hmm. game of the year. That certainly has not happened in the last 10 years. I yeah. I wonder, it has to have happened at some point, but I just don't know specifically. So 
the fact that there's a team right there to even challenge them, though, that wouldn't have been the case in the past because Villanova would have had two more losses to like Creighton and or they lost to Creighton, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Marquette and St. John's or like DePaul would have upset them at some point. And everyone from like two to six would all be around 500 in the conference because they would just all beat up on each other. But this, I mean, Villanova's beaten pretty much everyone except Creighton. Creighton had a few hiccups, but for the most part, they've been pretty consistent. And then Marquette, St. John's, Seton Hall, they've taken care of business against the teams below them. And then they've just beaten up on each other for a lot of it. So it's a good conference and it doesn't help when UConn is struggling and like when UConn's at its best, UConn's still going to run this conference and (laughs) clearly it's still doing that this year, but it's just that margin for error is so much thinner than it's been for each of the last 10 years. Yep. It's it's much thinner. And I mean, that's a good thing, obviously. Yeah. Somehow it has been only a week since UConn beat Creighton. It feels like much longer than that. And in that span, I have completely forgotten that Caroline Ducharme returned in that game. She's only been back three games. They get her back. And they get her back at the exact perfect moment. 10 points all in the fourth quarter, including two game-winning free throws with 4.8 seconds left. It was the exact type of performance from Caroline Ducharme that we've come to expect over the year. And it very much had vibes of that DePaul game last year where they just handed her the ball and said, go make a play. So... An 0 for 7 start from the field. She hits a three-pointer to kick things off. And then it all just came in the fourth quarter. They get her the ball on the final possession, and she draws a foul. Live, I thought it was a really bad call, and she got bailed out. But then I went back and watched the replay, and the Korean player caught her hand. So I don't think, look, there's plenty of referee calls that you could complain about in that game, but I really don't think that would be one of them, so... Quite a way for Caroline Ducharme to come back. Yeah, I think it's safe to say they probably don't win that game if they don't have her back. No. Um, and I mean, I think it shows like why this team has been missing her so much. So much attention is obviously put on AZ being out. And yes, AZ's a national player of the year candidate. And that is the biggest absence. But Caroline did lead this team in scoring for quite a stretch last year. And I think you saw kind of in that that Creighton game, why having her back is so critical. And she was able to actually get them some scoring off the bench, which they haven't had since, I don't, I don't even know the last time they had like real scoring off the bench. It's, it's been months. Um, I so think able Brianna to Stewart that. was still here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. It's, it's been a long time. <laughs> um, and then I also think even like an earlier in the game when, she wasn't necessarily scoring. You could just see the impact and like their ability to rotate more because she could is so versatile alongside Aubrey Griffin and that they could kind of really sub everyone out other than Nika Mule and actually play somewhat of a rotation and get people rest during the game, which they haven't really been able to do at all either. So just the, the impact of having her back is just, even though she's kind of had a quieter two games since the current game, and it's going to take a little bit, I think, for her to get in the flow of things, but it's huge to have her back. Yeah, and even if Caroline comes back and goes 0 for 7 in that game and UConn loses, I don't think anyone bats an eye. We would all mm-hmm. just go, well, yeah, she missed two, like, what, what was it, five weeks? 
six yeah. weeks with a concussion. Obviously, she's not going to come back and flip the switch right away. And even these last two games, I still kind of feel the same way where it's like, wow, she was incredible against Creighton. I still kind of expected it to take a little bit of time to get back. And Gino still said she's dealing with neck pain and, you know, migraine headaches at times and really kind of made it sound like every single game is a little touch and go with her, whether or not she's even going to play. So, I mean, the fact that she's back and what we've learned about Caroline is that I'd be surprised if she didn't play once she's cleared, but it's not like it's a given that just because she's back for three games now means we're going to see her against DePaul or we're going to see her against Xavier or we're going to see her in every single game in the Big East tournament. So, yeah, like you said, having her back is huge and she still plays a good game when she's not scoring. She takes good shots. She doesn't turn the ball over as much as she has in the past. She's pretty much, you know, even with everyone else on the team. So you can't single her out for that. She's not the greatest defender in the world, but she can make some plays on that end. So she's just having her out on the floor makes a difference, even if she's not scoring. And as Gino's talked about, She's just got this knack for putting the ball in the basket when it matters. It didn't happen last night, but she's done it plenty of times throughout her career, even though it's been marred by injuries and marred by being on the sidelines. So I think the more games that she gets under her belt and just the more she gets back into the mix, the better it's going to be. Yeah, and I think that that thing where she you know she does hit the shots at the right time too, and she didn't get do it against St. John's, but no one on the team could do it against St. John's. But I thought she did it in the Nova game. She only had six points, but those those two buckets that she made, I thought came kind of when UConn really needed a bucket, and it was just kind of a knack for the timing there. And I think, like you said, she impacts the game in other ways when she's on the floor. And she's not a net negative when the team is on, when she's on the floor either, which I think is huge. I mean, and I think every other player that they have to put in right now, it's a, it's not necessarily negative, but it's a bit of a drop off in terms of what you're putting out there in terms compared to the starters. And you're not going to say that about Caroline. Right. With the other bench players, they'll have a few possessions where they play pretty well. And then inexplicably, they always have a couple plays where it's just like, oh, man that's why they're not getting any playing time. There's Mm -hmm. without fail, just one backbreaking mistake that they'll have. And like you said, like Caroline's not going to do that any more than any of the other starters. I mean, UConn's knack for just terrible turnovers has seemed to increase recently, but her turnovers always seem to be trying to make something happen as opposed to making a lazy pass or just like trying to, force a pass where it's not there or dribbling herself into the wrong spot. It's, you know, she's driving into the lane and she gets the ball poked away or something, or, you know, the pass bounces off her hand and rolls out like things that are generally going to happen throughout the course of a game. And I, I guess acceptable turnovers compared to some of what UConn does throughout the game. Exactly. Then you mentioned the Villanova game, but the big one from that is the defensive effort that UConn put on Maddie Segrist and shows you how good Maddie Segrist is that she scored 21 points. And we're talking about what an incredible defensive effort UConn put together on her, but that tied a season low for her. She didn't have a single offensive rebound. She was coming off two games in which she combined for 89 points. So she was playing her best basketball and, 
they made her do it on an inefficient night. She was 18 for 22. 10 of those points came in the first quarter. So she had 11 points throughout the rest of the game after that first quarter. And Aaliyah Edwards deserves a lot of the credit because she guarded her for a lot of the night when Aaliyah wasn't on Maddie Segrist. That's usually when the points came. Aaliyah estimated that Maddie Segrist only scored. I don't know if she meant two or three points or two or three times, meaning like four to eight points. But either way, this is the type of performance that Aaliyah can have to make up for a tougher end on the offensive end. And it's something that we've seen from Aaliyah against Maddie Segrist in the past in previous years. And also a very, very good template outline format, whatever you want to say to follow when they inevitably, inevitably meet again in the big East tournament. Yeah, exactly. I thought Oli Edwards was fantastic on her. Um, and I feel like a lot of those points from Seagrass came in the first quarter, and then they were really able to kind of shut her down a lot more later in the game. And she's going to get her points no matter what. I mean, some of the shots that she hit, I was just like, she's so well-guarded, and it's just still somehow goes in. So that's just a credit to how good Seagrass is. But I think UConn's performance on her was really, really solid. And if they can replicate that in the Big East tournament, like that's a good path to winning against Nova. And I think we also saw what UConn's game plan is for everyone else. They're going to make Seagrass life hard. And then they're pretty much going to dare anyone else to beat them. And Villanova didn't get that from anyone. Lucy Olson had 13 points on six of 14. That's a decent day. Bella Runyon had nine points, but then the rest of the team combined for eight points, the entire rest of the team. So they just didn't get that secondary scoring, which they really needed with Maddie Segrist having for her standards, an off night. And I think that's exactly what UConn wants. UConn wants someone else to step up and try and beat them. And clearly UConn doesn't think anyone else is really capable of that. So we're recording this on Wednesday, but on Friday, the NCAA will do right Friday. It's second bracket reveal. Thursday. I think it's Thursday. Thursday would make sense, but I thought it was the 24th. I thought I had the 23rd. At least that's what I was planning on. So unless I'm losing my mind, I think it's tomorrow. I'm looking at the schedule to see if that makes sense. I am as well. I don't think it's Friday because there's no big ESPN game on Friday. Yeah, it is the 23rd. I... It makes sense. The other one was Thursday. Either way, we don't know where UConn will be yet, but where do you think they stand as our resident bracketologist? It feels like they have a chance to stay on the one line, but I have a feeling that just because they lost, they're going to get dropped as a result. Yeah, there's definitely a chance they stay there. I think it's kind of a mess beyond like the first three right now so I wouldn't be shocked to see them th- see them stay there but because I think this is a bit of a trend too and how they're playing I don't necessarily think they're going to stay there I think they're probably going to drop I think they're your first or second two seed though so it's not it's not a big drop right you're still right in the mix for that number one seed what I expect to see happen is to Maryland to make a big leap because they haven't lost and kind of go into that fourth number one and then I think LSU is probably I I still put LSU below UConn I think the committee will we'll see on tomorrow but so I think it's probably like Maryland UConn LSU 
which puts you kind of in a pretty good spot to end up number one if they can win out. Obviously, we like we talked about that's a big if right now, but like Maryland's probably going to lose a game at some point with the rest of the Big Ten or the Big Ten tournament. LSU is probably going to lose to South Carolina again. Um, and then the other two teams kind of right below them there in, in Utah and Iowa are probably going to drop games again as well. So you've you've got a pretty good pass still to, I think, ending on the one line, which is what actually matters. And it's not like it's all that different if UConn drops to a two because they're really just right. going to be the two and whoever's the one is who would have been the two in the region they were in anyways. Right. So yeah, they're, they're still pretty much... Yeah, they're still in Seattle, which I don't that's my preference personally. But <laughs> I, I don't I just can't see the argument for putting LSU high. They haven't played okay. anyone. And then the one good team they played, they didn't lose. They got absolutely rocked in a completely right. uncompetitive game. They showed that they weren't even remotely close to that level. And, you know, maybe the committee this time will give them a pass, but if the same thing happens in the SEC tournament, how can you realistically say that, yeah, this team, especially when this is the stretch where South Carolina has been vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They almost lost to UConn. They almost lost to Ole Miss. And yet LSU can't even get within like a miracle's chance of beating South Carolina. So I think it's it hurts them even more. The only reason that you're putting them high is because they only have one loss. But you don't actually look at who they've played if it's maryland then like sure maryland just absolutely obliterated iowa i just don't know how you could say someone is a one seed when they got beat so badly and so thoroughly Mm -hmm. by another one of the one seeds and their resume is comparable to other teams that haven't been blown out like that i think i mean i think it's a mess because basically no one really deserves to be that fourth number one seed right now but yeah, I just I just don't see the committee putting LSU there. I think we saw very clearly in the first review revealed by them not putting LSU on the one line that they were valuing having quality wins despite having losses over the resume that LSU had with no losses. And then if they just lost to South Carolina by nine, ten points, yeah, maybe they'd go there. But to get obliterated, like... I, I don't think they can move up. I don't think they can be a one seed unless they beat South Carolina in the SEC tournament. Sure. And if they do that and they have the resume, that's fine. But <laughs> I, I almost feel like I'm not complaining about having another reveal because I do really enjoy them. <laughs> and I think they're really helpful for guiding our thinking. But the first one gives us an idea of where everyone stands in this one it just feels like we're getting a snapshot yeah, and then chaos is going to happen in the conference tournaments. I mean, so many different outcomes can happen. That's the fun of the conference tournament mm-hmm. is there's very unpredictable, but it feels like it's been a couple years now where there's been no true fourth one seed and just one team kind of slides in because there's no one else, but there's three pretty clear one seeds. And then there's a bunch, there's like eight or nine, two seeds pretty much. That's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. And Stanford could quickly become part of that that group of the eight or nine two seats too. So I don't think they're they're solid on that line right now. I think South Carolina and Indiana have some margin for error, but Stanford doesn't have a big margin for error either. So it, it'll be interesting. But yeah, I think last year we got a reveal like after 
the first weekend of conference tournaments and we're not getting that this year, which is a little disappointing. I kind of understand that though, because then you're basically revealing the field yeah. when there's only what that's one true. conference tournament left. Yeah. Yeah. That's that so. is true. <laughs> also, like I'm not saying Stanford doesn't deserve to be on the one line, but Stanford absolutely better fits in with everyone else than it does mm-hmm. with either South Carolina or Indiana. Yeah, I think there's there's a in terms of resume, there's a a drop off between those first two. I think Indiana might fit in more with everyone else too, but their resume does not fit in with everyone else more. Look, in a season where we've talked about where everybody sucks, they're at least figuring out how to continue to win. Yes, yeah, no, I give them a lot of credit, and like the Big Ten isn't necessarily easy to win, and there's a lot of good teams. I just worry what a Big Ten team will look like when they play a style of basketball that is not Big Ten basketball because there is not a lot of defense. It is not very physical. And I think I still think Indiana could run into some trouble if they have to play. Even like a team like a Marquette, like I think could give Indiana trouble. This is going to be a really fun tournament. It is. It's going to be so fun. I'm just like kind of ready for it to be here. As much as like conference tournaments are fun, like the, the the tournament's gonna be chaos i think like it's one of those years where it's like you could send all four ones to the final four and it could be like a bunch of like five and eight seats too i really have no idea i was actually just gonna say that i think there's probably a better chance that none of the one seeds make it than all of the one seeds make it yeah i i kind of agree <laughs> because i I, don't know, I watched sanford against ucla and i'm very unconvinced about them mm-hmm Indiana, I don't know, I think. I, I'm still not sold, but yeah. maybe that's just my opinion on the Big Ten. But I think we see the Big Ten underperform quite a bit. So I don't know that that's an unrealistic concern. Then whoever that fourth one seed is, if that's the region UConn's in and they're not a one seed, like what whatever we think about them going into the tournament, I... I will bet against them making the final four when they haven't made a final four each in the right, last 14 years. Right. So I, I'm i not betting against them now, even though mm-hmm. I don't feel very good about them. Right, right. Yeah, I think there's some reason that Gino has won 11 national championships and that, that's going to help them in, in March. It'll be interesting. There's going to be no shortage of excitement and intrigue the rest of the way we're not going to get many boring games for UConn or really for anyone else so it's going to be a fun rest of the year when we record again the regular season will be over and we'll be entering the Big East tournament and we'll be on the precipice of March depending on which day we record it might be March already so it's here almost It is almost here. Anyways, that'll do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Thanks for listening.